Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. Today we're continuing our journey through the Acts of the Apostles in the sermon series that we call Unstoppable. Uh, we call it Unstoppable because we've seen through this study the birth and the growth of the early church, and it continues to this day to be truly unstoppable. We'll see that the reason the church is unstoppable isn't because we've been given favor. For over the 2,000 years, the church has and will continue to face persecution. Uh, the church isn't unstoppable because it's, it's perfect. No one's perfect except for Jesus. Um, during the same time period, there's been scandals, and often the leaders of the church are more interested in the temporal, the things of this earth, rather than heavenly things. And it certainly is, we're not unstoppable because we, we always pray. No, um, the, the Holy Spirit does things for us when we don't even know how to pray. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything, everything that I've commanded you. And then Jesus says, and lo, I will be with you until the very end of the age. So today we'll be looking at the 12th chapter in the book of the Acts, also called the Acts of the Apostles. And this, this chapter by, by many scholars, by many commentators, is considered a, a transition uh, chapter. It's basically the end of the, uh, the main character that we've seen so far, which is the Apostle Peter. And then after this, we'll be seeing the Apostle Paul. You know, it was Peter was the one that spoke to the crowds on Pentecost Sunday and explained to them what they had heard. It was Peter and, and the Apostle John that healed the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. Um, now Peter had been arrested twice and has been set free and that will be important to remember as we go through this, this study today. It was Peter that was led by the Spirit of God to go to Cornelius, a centurion said to be a member of the Italian regiment and witness that God showed no partiality, that the gospel was available to not only the Jews, but also the Greeks. Uh, we have one more chapter with a, with a focus on Peter, and that's this chapter 12. And then we really won't see him again until briefly in, in chapter 15. Peter's a, an amazing man and, and a testimony to the, to the grace of God uh, that can take a, a stiff-necked fisherman from Galilee and turn him into this articulate spokesman for Jesus Christ. Um, he was a member of the inner circle, along with uh, James and his brother John. And by, by, by all accounts, he was the de facto leader of this early church. So let's begin looking at this 12th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And it starts off with an update uh, on this king named Herod. Verse 1, now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Uh, this Herod the king was actually King Herod Agrippa uh, the first, 
He was called the first because his son was actually Herod Agrippa II. And the Bible actually mentions a number of Herods, and you kind of need a score sheet of some kind to keep track of them all. They're all part of the family line of Herod the Great, of uh, Matthew fame. It was Herod the Great that uh, was upset because the wise men had come and, and wanted to seek after the king of the Jews. And Herod the Great was the king of the Jews, and he decided to kill all of the male children in the Bethlehem area, ages two and under. Historians tell us that this Herod at the beginning of chapter 12 um, wanted to ingratiate himself, um, gain favor with the Pharisees as well as a growing number of, of uh, Judeans, Jewish people. Uh, that were upset with the growth of the of the early church. They wanted to stomp out this 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 belief in in a Messiah that had not only died uh, in the crucifixion but had risen from the dead. The verse says that Herod stretched out his arm to harass some from the church. Uh, the timeline on this this his historical account given by Dr. Luke is likely about eight to ten years after. Pentecost. And, and Luke had just recorded in a, a previous chapter, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it continued to increase. Hence our name for the sermon series called Unstoppable. Now the earlier persecution of, uh, by Saul uh, that saw Stephen being stoned to death. It happened maybe seven, eight years prior. Uh, and the church was, was growing. And it was growing through the people being scattered all through Judea, Samaria, and then actually into Caesarea. Let's continue. Verse 2. And he, that, that's Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now, the scripture makes it clear that Herod had James, the brother of John, killed. Luke includes this reference because there's, there's also another important James. James, the, the brother of Jesus, who is also a disciple and also a very significant leader at the church in Jerusalem. Notice that Herod, who has the title king, prefers to use the sword. You see, all of these groups of people had their own favorite use of capital punishment. Uh, for kings, they would use the sword. The Romans preferred crucifixions, and crucifixion was a, a horrible way to die, and quite frankly, the Romans were experts at it. They were, there was nobody like the Romans that could cause more pain and suffering in the death of another human being. And, and of course, the Jews, uh, we're told that stoning was their way of, of capital punishment. But the Jews, if you remember, were prohibited from exercising capital punishment. Uh, they had their own rules and their own regulations, and many of the Jews were still subject to the rules of, of the, the Pharisees, who were the leaders, the judges of Israel. Uh, but they, they weren't allowed to use stoning. The stoning of Stephen, for example, uh, by the hand of Saul and this angry mob, was, uh, was, a, was a mob. It was, it, was, it was unlawful. So let's continue. Um, we said that kings, however, could use the sword. John the Baptist was beheaded by, by Herod the Great. And his grandson now continues the tradition uh, by killing James, the apostle and, and brother of John the Evangelist. You know, 
it's interesting. James and John were brothers. They were the, the sons of thunder. And, and they actually, they had come to Jesus and they asked that they could sit on his right hand and his left hand in glory, meaning when he establishes the kingdom, they were expecting that Jesus as the Messiah was about to establish an earthly reign of the Messiah as the, the head and the king of, of Judah. Um, and Jesus responds and he says, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I will drink and be baptized with the baptism, baptism I undergo? And, and James and John replied, we can. Jesus answered and said, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I undergo. And, and this, this uh, capture, this arrest of James and Herod taking off his head is, is a fulfillment in part of what Jesus had said in response to James and John. So, so let's go on. Jesus, Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't tell his apostles that he would protect them. In fact, this, the one thing that this, this um, beheading of James did is it smashed a, a rumor, a, a feeling among the apostles and the early disciples that somehow God would protect these, these 12 men, these, these apostles, these apostles of the Lamb. Uh, but Jesus never promised that. Jesus never promised that he would protect them. In fact, what he said, he said that there would be persecution. That's what he promised them. Jesus said, beware of men, for they will deliver you to councils and scourge you and throw you out of the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the, to the Gentiles. That's from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. And the scriptures say that Peter was arrested as well. And it was during the days of unleavened bread. So, so James is killed and Peter is arrested as well. And, and the plans for Peter by Herod are exactly the same as James. However, it's, it's during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, that was fortunate for, for Peter because the, the Jews insisted, as much as a concrete people could insist anything, but the Jews insisted that a moratorium on capital punishment be, be had during any of the, the High Holy Days, the, the feast days. So the, the Feast of, of Unleavened Bread is actually an eight-day feast. Uh, back at the time of Jesus, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were a combined feast. So sometimes it's called the Feast of Passover, Sometimes it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's why you'll see both references often in the Bible. But it lasts for a period of, period of eight days. So let's take a look at verse 3. It says, So when he had arrested him, he put him into prison and delivered him four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, Peter's prospects at this point are, are not good. James had been taken and killed. There was no mention of any charges or a trial that's going to happen. Peter is just waiting for the executioner. Now, Peter would have had the same fate um, as soon as it was Passover, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, but he finds himself chained to guards for a, a period of time, uh, likely as many as these, these seven days or seven or eight days. Now, it's interesting, it says, four squads of soldiers, and of course I immediately think of the Amy Grant song of, of Peter and, and the angel and the four squads of soldiers. Um, the four squads of soldiers during this time, according to historians, um, indicated maximum security. 
maximum security. This would, these four, four squads would have been four by four. Uh, four soldiers, two outside, two chained to the prisoner, and then they would rotate. So they would have, they would be on for six hours and off for six hours and on for six hours and off for six hours. They would be chained directly to the prisoner to ensure that there was no way for the prisoner to, to escape. However, um, God is setting us up for a miraculous escape, uh, almost a, a Houdini, uh, an impossible escape that's made possible because of prayer. Now, a quick word on Herod before uh, we see him at the end of the chapter and before we get into these, to, to the prayer that the church was having for Peter. Uh, Herod is just another one of these insignificant, power-hungry, self-centered political animals that we've had literally since the beginning of time and continue to this day. His grandfather, Herod the Great, cozied up to Rome sent his children to school there, did everything he possibly could in order to earn the ability or the right to be, to be declared the king of this area that include most of Judea and Samaria. Herod is trying to, this Herod is trying to gain the favor of, of the religious uh, people. Um, historians tell us that this Herod um, actually uh, observed most of the Jewish laws. He, he ingratiated himself with the religious leaders. Whether his religious um, attitude was real or just part of his political process, who knows? I mean, who can tell with politicians? Who can tell what's true and what is just a fabrication? You know, Herod um, was persecuting the, the, uh, the Christians just like Saul was, but there was a huge difference between them. Saul was a, a religious zealot. He believed in something. He believed in the, the, the Jewish laws. He believed in the Torah. He believed in the writings of Abraham and all of the prophets, um, or Moses and all the prophets. He was at least, he was wrong. He was 100% wrong, but at least he was honest about what he was after. Herod on the other time was just a, on the other side, was, was just a political animal. So let's continue, verse 5. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer, constant prayer was offered to him, to, to God, for him uh, by the church. Uh, Dr. Luke is setting up a, a contest, uh, setting the stage. In one corner we have Herod uh, with some evil desires, but in the other corner we have the power of prayer and a praying church. So we see this, that this outcome is going to be a surprise. A surprise for Herod, for sure, the soldiers, Peter, and the apostles as well. The scripture says, constant prayer was offered to God for him. Now this word constant is sometimes translated as earnest, sometimes translated as without ceasing or fervent prayer. Uh, the Greek word is actually the word ektenos. And according to scholars, it's actually a medical term. Uh, it describes the stretching of muscles, the stretching of muscles to the, to the limits. It's, it's that, that overreaching, that earnestness um, that we can have through prayer, but it's, it's actually a medical term. The same word was, was used, for example, uh, regarding Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus sweat drops of blood, according to the Gospel account. So earnest was Jesus in prayer. Now, while all prayer is good and encouraged, all prayer is not effective. Prayer never persuades a, a reluctant God or changes his mind. Earnest prayer actually changes us. 
it, it demonstrates that we care about the things of God, the kingdom of God, and the people of God. This type of prayer actually is never about us. It, it's always about others. That's why we have others pray for us. When you're in trouble, when you need prayer, ask the church to pray for you. Um, intercessory prayer is, is extremely effective. Our friends and our neighbors and our family, they, they intercede for us. They, they lift us up to the throne of God. We pray for others, for the church, for the gospel to, to go forward. When we pray, we also have to remember that it's God who is, is able. God cares and ultimately God is in charge. It's His will, not ours. We don't pray even to understand His will, just to embrace it. So let's read this next section, verses 6 through 10. It's a larger section, but it's, a, it's important, it's interesting. When Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. So this was the, this was the last night. This was the night before Peter was going to be taken, taken to Herod, taken to the executioner. If Peter was put into prison the, at the beginning of this feast, he had spent seven days in prison, waiting for the doors to open and waiting to be brought face to face with the same executioner that had just taken the head off of his beloved friend James. If this is the last night after as many as seven nights, Remember, the church had also been praying for this entire time, for seven days of constant prayer. And, and notice what the prayer brings. It brings an angel. Prayer, constant, earnest, fervent prayer can dispatch angels. The, the Old Testament Daniel, for example, prayed and fasted for three weeks and the angel Gabriel came to him to, to deliver a message from the Lord. In the days of King Hezekiah, a brutal, merciless Assyrian army had surrounded Jerusalem. Destruction was all but certain, but good King Hezekiah sought the Lord. He prayed earnestly, fervently, and God dispatched an angel. One angel. One angel, and the next day, 185,000 Assyrians lay dead. In 2 Kings, we read of Elisha, and he had to tell the king of Israel that the army had come and had surrounded the city, a huge army with chariots and horses. And then Elijah called his servant over and said, God, open the eyes of my servant so the servant can see what, what I see. And the eyes of the servant were open and he could see a heavenly army of horses and chariots of fire all around. 
Fortunately for the enemy, they weren't killed. They were, they were only blinded. They were struck with blindness. So the scriptures say that, that Peter was, was sleeping. Now, I, I've read some commentaries about this text, and there are some that comment that, isn't it nice that Peter is sleeping? Peter has, has no fears, has no worries. He knows that God is going to deliver him. You know, I just don't see that here in the text. I think the scriptures reveal that even Peter was surprised at this great escape. You know, sleep comes to all that are exhausted. Even crying babies ultimately fall asleep. The scripture says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. Isn't it interesting how so often when there's an angel, there's also light. I, I love that. And the angel struck Peter on the side and, and raised him up and said, Arise quickly. And the chains fell off of Peter's hands. Now, typically, angels start off with two words. What did they say? Fear not. Uh, but this time, Peter is sleeping. So the angel has to hit him on the shoulder a little bit and tell him to get up, get dressed, put on your tunic and your sandals, and the chains that are on Peter's hands fall off. Peter's free. The locked chains are, are no match. No match at all for an angel sent by God. However, Peter is still in prison. So the story continues and talks about how Peter left that prison. Notice that Luke records that Peter did not know that what was done by the angel was actually real or whether, whether this was just a, a vision. Uh, we read earlier that Peter had a clear vision of, from the Lord of a sheet that descended from heaven and Peter saw the vision three times. I, I love this story because it says while Peter was still trying to determine exactly what the vision meant, a voice spoke to him and, and Peter obeyed the Spirit of the Lord. Even without understanding a vision, you can still go ahead and, and comply and obey, immediately obey the Lord. So Peter definitely obeyed the angel. Peter was going to obey this angel. This angel knew the way out and there was a big light shining around him. The scriptures continues with very specific details. It says they passed the first and the second guard posts. They came to an iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them on its own accord. Just, and it's open. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Now see, you and I don't, under, don't know the, the topography and the directions and all of the buildings and exactly where this prison was. But the people that Luke is writing this to, that Peter is going to tell this story to, do. They know exactly where this is, and they can picture in their mind Peter being let out of prison, the iron gates opening, and then going down the street. It's important because it gives specificity to how God delivers his people, how the angel is more than able to overcome all of these obstacles. You know, once the angel has finished his job, the angel departs. He doesn't give Peter a high five. He doesn't wait around to be thanked. He just does his job and then, and then leaves. This reminds me of a very interesting and sometimes misunderstood saying of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And I'll take a, just a couple minutes to, to go through that. Um, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after a sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, oh, come along now and sit down to eat? No, won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and then wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may 
eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? And then Jesus continues. He says, I, I tell you, when you've done everything you were told to do, should, you should say, we are just unworthy servants. We're just lowly servants. We have only done our, our duty. The, these angels understand that. They're dispatched to do the bidding of God. They do exactly what they're told to do. They don't do anything more than they're told to do. And then they leave. They don't expect a lot of thanks. They don't expect a pat on the back. They just do their job. Now, the scripture says that Peter kind of comes to his senses. And this passage ends with these words. It says, And when Peter had come to himself, that's what it means, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and all the expectation of the Jewish people. Notice Peter says that it wasn't just Herod. Peter knew what was going on. He knew it wasn't just Herod, it was also these, these Jewish people. Which Jewish people? Well, it was the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And did you know there was even a group called the Herodians? Jewish people called Herodians because they wanted the favor of Herod. Isn't that funny? The king wants the favor of the Jewish people and the Jewish people want the favor of Herod. Um, they, what these Jewish people and the Herodians and the Sadducees had desired was that these followers of Jesus would just go away. They, they, would, they would depart. They would no longer be teaching about a, a risen Messiah. And now we come to a, an interesting section of the scripture today, and it's actually quite humorous. Verse 12 continues, it says, So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So, so Peter obviously found out that he was delivered from the hand of Herod and went to where the church was meeting. And we find out that the church was meeting at uh, the mother of John Mark's house. Okay, the church had gathered together and they were praying. They were likely still in collective prayer at the time Peter starts knocking on the outer gate. Um, in the second chapter of Acts, for example, it says that the believers met continuously. Uh, they were together and had everything common. Uh, let me tell you, friends, there are times when if you really want to be able to, to have earnest prayer, when you want to see God operate in your life to advance the kingdom of God, sometimes you, you need to get together. Uh, this is not something that you do all by yourself. Sometimes you need to get together. Um, often we just need to forget about the schedule at the church. You know, our services may last 60 minutes or 75 minutes or 90 minutes or longer, but, but there will come a time, I, I guarantee it, there's going to be a time in your church that you need to get together for longer than the prescribed time. 
You need to be together in prayer, in true, earnest, fervent prayer, because the kingdom of God needs to advance, and the kingdom of God needs your prayer. But let's get to this, this humorous part. Peter knocks on the door, knocks on the gate. It's, it's locked, and when Rhoda hears that it's Peter, she leaves him standing outside. And she goes and tells the, the believers that are there, uh, that are praying still for Peter, that it's Peter. And they, they just pass, they, they pass it off. They say, you, you must be nuts. And, and then she continues and she says, no, no, it's, it's Peter. I, I, I heard his voice. He's outside. God's answered our prayer. So then they decide, well, maybe it's this angel. And sometime we'll have to talk about the, the Jewish belief in, in guardian angels and how every person had an angel with them. Um, but that's for another day. But, but they've been praying all this time and they don't recognize that God has actually answered their prayer. So they, Peter keeps on knocking. They go to the door. Peter comes in. He motions to them to be quiet, likely either to get inside so that he doesn't cause too much commotion outside. He had just escaped from Herod. Or it could be that he, he needed to tell this story. The story had not been told. What happened with the angel, we know because we can read it in the 12th chapter of Acts, but it hadn't been told. And Peter tells them the story. Now, if, if you remember at the, at the beginning of the passage today, I said that when Dr. Luke described that it was James, uh, the brother of John, that was killed by the sword, it was important to identify which James there is because there's another James. And notice in the scripture, it says, Peter tells them to go tell James and the other apostles. Go tell James. This James is none other than James, the brother of Jesus Christ. A actually, James is the, is the half-brother of Jesus because we know from the scriptures that Jesus was the, uh, was the son of Mary, but not of Joseph. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Now, religious tradition tells us that Peter was the, the leader of the early church, and to some extent that was true. I'm a big fan of Peter. You know, Peter was impulsive. He often spoke first before he really thought about even what the question was. He made a number of mistakes. And I'm a fan because I can, I can relate to this temperament that Peter had. Uh, Peter was also an obvious leader of the apostles. He was an amazing man and a great leader. And like most of the apostles, he was, he was martyred because of his faith in, in Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is, is not referenced in the book of Acts after this, except for a, a, short, a, short, uh, a short passage in, uh, in Acts 15. And in Acts 15, we see that it's James, actually, that's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, not, not Peter. Um, it's interesting to note that we have extra-biblical evidence. Extra-biblical meaning that we've got, we've got th something that's written down, that's historical, that's not just the Bible. And, and while we don't really need these because we have faith that the Bible, what the Bible says is true, the extra-biblical accounts does two things for us. One, it, it shows uh, the historicity. It shows us the history of, of what's going on. Dr. Luke, Luke, Dr. Luke was a, an amazing historian. And when there's other historians that, that say the same type of thing that Luke says, it, it builds our confidence that the Word of God is, is accurate, that it's true, that it's historically correct. Well, there was, a, there was an early church historian called Eusebius. And Eusebius lived in the, in the fourth century. He was a bishop and he was a scholar of the early church. He's best known for writing what's called the history of the church. And listen to what Eusebius writes. He says, then there was James, 
who was known as the brother of the Lord, for he too was called Joseph's son and Joseph Christ's father. Though in fact the virgin was betrothed and before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now this is antiquated language, but what it's saying is that this James is the brother of the Lord and while Jesus was conceived by the, by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, James was his, his brother. His mother, was his, his mother was Mary and his father was Joseph. This James, who the early Christians surnamed the righteous because of his outstanding virtue, was the first, as the records tell us, to be elected to the Episcopal throne. That's the bishop. This James was the first bishop of the church at Jerusalem. You see, it was this James that Peter told to go tell that Peter was out of prison. Peter said, here's the story, this is what the angel did, and I'm out of here, but go tell James and the rest of the apostles. So let's finish up, and we'll find out what happened to these unfortunate four squads of soldiers. Scriptures continues and says, then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now that's Herod. You know, Luke writes, there was no small stir. Well, this is, that's like Jim Lovell, the astronaut of Apollo 13, saying, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, this is this is understatement. This is understatement now, which is not unusual actually in in Greek in, in Greek uh, uh, literature. Uh, understatement is used often. Um, Herod actually was in a rage. Um, Peter had escaped, and Herod had put cap he had put his best soldiers in charge to make sure that Peter had not escaped. An execution of the Roman guards actually was was customary, according to historians of a guard's prisoner escaped, the guard was given the penalty due to the prisoner. In this case, it was death. Uh, we'll see later in Acts chapter 16 with Paul and the jailer that this happens again. It says the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open. You know, the angel had done it again. Paul, Paul and uh, Barnabas uh, were escaping from prison. And the jailer drew his sword and was about to kill himself, presuming that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't kill yourself, we're, we're still here. Uh, and the, the jailer rushed before Paul and Silas, not Barnabas, Silas, and fell down before them. Um, by the way, that's actually a, a great closing for today's passage. That, that verse out of Romans 16 uh, that Paul describes his conversation with the jailer. Uh, Paul and Silas replied to the jailer after, jailer after he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household as well. Salvation, we've talked about it before. Uh, the word means to be made whole, to be restored, to fellowship with God. It means to have your sins blotted out, to be forgiven. We started off today's message with Herod putting the apostle James to death because he wanted favor with the Jewish religious leaders. These Jewish religious leaders were offended. They were offended because of the gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ that was leading many of the Jews as well as the Gentiles to salvation. It, it's the gospel that created the offense. But it's the same gospel that also brings salvation. If you've never taken that step to truly believe the gospel, to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a, a perfect life, 
that he fulfilled all of the requirements of the Jewish law. But then he went one step further. He, he died for the sin of the world and that he rose again on the third day. If you believe that, and if you confess that, you can be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart, it's with the heart that one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth that confession is made to salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for today's message. We thank you, Lord, for... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.